I have a confession to make before I get started today. Uh, the title that I gave this message is not what I wanted to call it. I titled it what I did to comfort any Thanksgiving mob that might be out there. You say, do we have a Thanksgiving mob? I don't know, but I'm not taking any chances. People, people love their calendars. So my concern was that if you saw the sign out front or you read a title in your bulletin and it did not look like it was a Thanksgiving sermon, you might be too upset to focus all morning, mad because it wasn't about Thanksgiving. And I'm going to talk about what we have to be thankful for, but that's implicit in the text, not explicit. And that's okay. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Surely what our text reveals this morning should make us thankful. No question. And we will talk about that. Next week is December 1st already, and we'll step out of Hebrews for that month to focus on Christmas time and the first coming of our Lord Jesus. Then we'll come back and finish Hebrews. We don't have much longer to go as we start the new year, God willing, and it will be just what we need to kick off 2020, a brand new decade. God's word calls his people to be thankful, but not just thankful because it's a moral virtue it, it's but as an appropriate and logical sensible response to the presence and provision and the faithfulness of our god it is because of who god is so it's not because it's simply virtuous and you should be a thankful person even if you weren't a believer in jesus it's because of who god is that we are called as god's people in 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, to give thanks in everything, give thanks in all circumstances. Really? What could be the basis of a command that seems like it's so ignorant of the reality of living in this world? How can you possibly genuinely be thankful in everything the command is not given to us because God is ignorant of or unconcerned about the difficulties of living in this world. It is a command given because his son has overcome the world and has done all of that for us. The reason we can give thanks in all circumstances is because, as our text implies this morning, there is no circumstance, none, that trumps God's ability to save and deliver and love and keep us. Our thanksgiving this morning is grounded in the fact that absolutely nothing can ever prevent God from giving us everything that he has promised to us. This has always been God's rationale for faith. It's precisely why the people in this text believed in him, so he not only offers us what we long for more than anything else, he doesn't just offer that, he secures it for us forever. That's home. Home. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we've discovered in Hebrews that what faith is assured about and what faith hopes in is the completely sufficient work of Christ on behalf of all who believe in him to secure for us all that God has promised to us. So as the text said, without that, without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever would draw near to him must not only believe that he exists, 
but that he rewards those who seek him with the gift Christ purchased for them to ultimately receive God himself. Proving that the presence of God forever in the heavenly country he will bring to us is the reward of faith is the purpose of chapter 11. The deepest reason for our ongoing thankfulness is the unending faithfulness of our God for us in his son Jesus Christ. Let me pray and we'll look at this text. Father, we come before you this morning hungry for you, Father. I pray that by the time we're finished that we would be convinced of the reason for our thanksgiving. I pray, Father, that you would help me speak clearly to that end. Please stop anything in me that is not for that purpose this morning and what I say and how I say it. And Father, please help everybody to be able to hear and to understand. I pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verses 8 through 10 as we continue to make our way through Hebrews chapter 11. This is verses 8 through 10. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Isn't that interesting? It's the land of promise and a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, his son and grandson. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The reason, see that word for in verse 10, the reason that Abraham obeyed by faith when he was called to leave his home for a place God would give him as an inheritance, even though he didn't know where that place was, the reason he went to live there by faith, even though he and his ancestors only stayed in tents as though they were only ever visitors in that land, is because in verse 10, Abraham the whole time, this is why he went, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, the city whose designer and builder is God himself. God, if you are going to be in that place you're calling me to, then that's where I'll go. There is no earthly city. There is no earthly land or nation that actually has any lasting foundations, including ours. We are in love with a land that was never meant to be our home. And we're so enamored by it, we can't even see how that might be dangerous to us. The only city that has any foundations is the city whose designer and builder is God. And that place isn't on earth. It can't be built by us. It can't be secured by us. Because God is going to bring it to us from heaven. He is its designer and its builder. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah had no idea how she could conceive a baby at the age of 90 or 91 years old. But she did believe that the God who promised her that she would did have the power 
to keep that promise, to make that happen. So we read in verse 12, therefore, because the God who promises is faithful, right? Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, I think Abraham was 100 when she was 90 or 91, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The God who promised Sarah she would conceive was more powerful than even her and Abraham could have possibly imagined. Their descendants were innumerable. Now, before we read these next few verses, we really need to get our bearings here. Because this this gives us the reason we read what we do about everybody in this passage. What is it that the people of faith are holding on to, right? Why do they make the decisions they do and live the way they do? Why would Abraham, for example, leave behind family, leave behind home, leave behind comfort, security, stability? The goal of life, for the most part, is to acquire those things. Why would he leave? Why do people of faith leave all that behind? What are they holding on to? Why do they make the decisions they do? Why do they live the way they do? Why do they think the way they do? What is driving them? Beloved, this is where the Bible really gets specific about what it means to be a Christian. Hebrews 11. In a world where people have been trying to build a home and make a name for themselves since Cain was exiled from his family in Genesis 4. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a world like that? What does it really mean? And the church in America, which is us, has to hear it because we are trying very hard to build a homeland on the earth. And we need to hear God's word this morning. We're just trying to sanctify that by spiritualizing it rather than calling it what it is, which is a lack of faith. What is the mindset of those in the word that God commends? We should want to know the answer to that. Somebody cannot say to you, listen, this is what pleases me. And then you say, I hear that, but I'm going to do this and see if that will please you. Right? God has made it very clear what is pleasing to him. And how that's described, how verse 6 is described, without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, what does faith look like then? Who pleased God is chapter 11. And there's a running theme through the whole chapter, and the people of God have to hear it regardless of where they live. This would be the same message no matter where we were on the earth. We happen to live in a place, however, that makes a very good home. And so it's very hard for us to hear this text as it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and intended for us, given what is here, to understand and believe it. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Did you hear that? But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They acknowledged that for people who speak 
thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. There is no better earthly country. Look at the word of God. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. That had to be clarified even then. Just so, yeah, we all desire a better country. No, 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 the author says, no, a heavenly one. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. He will give them exactly what they desire. Beloved, this text. Can we hear this text through our distinctly American ears? Can we hear this text? All those names so far died in faith. That is, what does that mean? The text has told us what that is. They died with nothing but assurance and conviction that they would receive, not because they had already received. Abel was murdered while seeking God. Enoch had to be removed from the earth to see it because what he wanted wasn't here. Noah died with a cursed son. Abraham and Sarah never received a home. They never saw their progeny. They never saw the innumerable grains of sand. You know what? They saw strife between Isaac and Ishmael. On earth in this life, they never actually saw up close the fulfillment of what they had been promised. But they did see it from afar. That is, they saw it with the eyes of faith. And beloved, to see those things and greet them from afar. Right? To see things that are not yet and to greet them from afar is to make a pronouncement about their expectations in this life and of this life. And we need to hear it. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, they settled the issue inside. They settled the issue. That's right. We are strangers and exiles on the earth. We put ourselves through so much internal strife because we cannot accept what it means that this is who we are. We can't. I can't. Beloved, we do not have a home here. And this isn't just for writing good poems or songs. It isn't just a, a, a verse for magnets on our refrigerator. This is an identity. A deliberately assumed identity that must be acknowledged and taken on. And not having one here, not having a home here, does not imply or command to make one here. As though that's the solution. Right? There isn't a home, so I'll build one. No, that's what Cain thought. 
right? We talked about that on Sunday nights in Genesis. All right, you exile me and make me a wanderer on the earth. I'll build a home on the earth. I'll build a city and I'll name it after my son so that it never goes away. I'll leave a legacy. That's how I'll have a name here. I'll never die, basically. It's not a good desire. No matter how we sanctify that desire. We aren't supposed to have a home here. It's, it's, it's truth from God. He doesn't want us to have a home here. He doesn't want us to try and build one here. It's a matter of biblical truth, beloved. Strangers and exiles have certain expectations about their situation, about where they are. Or you could say a lack of expectations about where they are. And Christian, we, we are trying with all our might to squeeze and force a place into home here when it was never meant to be that for us. We seek wealth and comfort and stability and security probably because we haven't embraced our identity yet. There's so much I want this world to give me when God has never promised the world could give any of it to me. And God the Holy Spirit who resides in every believer will not let us feel at home here. So there, there's going to be constant tension inside if we try to make this home. It isn't that wealth or comfort or stability or security are always categorically evil in and of themselves. It's that for strangers and exiles, they're unrealistic and they are not the point of life. They have the very real danger of making us depend on them and find our identity in them. If we honestly believe that we're just passing through, because we say that, Christians say that all the time. Well, I'm just passing through. Then why are we trying so hard to settle down? Why do we get so upset when the world will not conform to what we want it to be? We don't need it to do that. If we're just passing through. Right, if I, if I go to Disneyland Paris, I don't need them for a day to change all the signs to English. Right, that wouldn't make any sense. I'm just there visiting. Why would you change everything for me? We, we tend to use faith as a means of gaining everything that we can in the here and now. It's not, faith is not for that. Faith is not a gift from God to turn the world into our home. Faith is a gift from God so that we can see from afar the one who is our home while we're on the earth. Look at 14 and 15 again. Look at these, look at these verses. For people who speak thus make it clear that, you know, not acknowledging that they're strangers and exiles. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, so they weren't, they would have had opportunity to return. People who speak thus, what, what does that mean? How, how do the people who live by faith speak? Well, they don't speak like they're banking on receiving everything in the here and now that God has promised to them. They don't speak like that. They don't expect God to give them everything now. It's not even in the cards. They don't speak like they're expecting everything here to go their way or to go well. Despite what 
teachers like Beth Moore and Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen and some of these other false teachers are teaching today about how you and I are the center of everything and God is just waiting to make us shine and realize our destiny. People of true faith don't speak like everything here should work out if we just try really hard to do the right things. They don't speak like they will receive their blessing in this world. They don't speak like people who think this world is all there is speak. They don't speak like citizens. They speak like strangers and exiles, foreigners and prisoners, not natives. Really, really try to think about that. How would a foreigner or an exile in a place even talk? Beloved, the people that hear us speak about our lives, where do they think we think our home is? And I don't say that to scold you. I'm hoping that we'll reflect on where we think our home is. What do the people in our lives think we are banking on for happiness and peace and joy and contentment? What do they believe that if we got, we would be fine? What do they hear? Something that can be gained here? Or do they hear hope for something that can only be greeted from afar? Because we will not receive it here. Beloved, when we speak just like the natives, and I don't mean when we use cuss words, I mean when we talk like this is home, and when we hope for things here like this is home, when we speak like that, no one is going to realize that we're strangers and exiles. And only strangers and exiles in God's economy have a testimony. The church loves to blame the culture. For how ineffective the church is. Beloved, the minute we bought into the lie that America is home, we lost our testimony to the glory and beauty of another world. Of a heavenly country. We talk and hope like citizens. As though what Christ came to give is actually just one more method among many to find a home in this world. And when you talk like that, why would anybody listen to you about your hope? It's the same as theirs. Right? We're, we're trying constantly to craft new and better ways to evangelize as though it's a program that you can just implement and it will be successful. And there are, you got Barna out there giving statistics. And if you, if you get somebody in this age grouping, then they're more likely, you know what? The Bible doesn't do that. I mean, for one thing, our witness is very much, the potency of it has way more to do than we think with how we speak in general, not just the content of what we say. We were meant to be like red in a sea of black and white and gray. Beloved weren't meant to be more black and white and gray. In verse 15, to embrace the identity of a stranger in an exile is not just to embrace one identity, it's to leave behind on purpose another. It's to say goodbye to this world as a home. Right? You, you cannot balance two citizenships. You can't do it. 
It's to say goodbye to this world, to give up all those hopes and dreams that all this can ever be squeezed into what my heart longs for. And I know there are tons of books about this, about, the, you know, look, you can't muddy down the water of the gospel with anything else or you'll dilute it. Right? So, you, you, we, beloved, we need to remember how Jesus taught us to think. We need to pick a side. There are the kingdoms of the world, all of them, and there's the kingdom of God. There, there's no crossover. The heavenly country can't be built on the earth by the earth. God is bringing it from heaven. It can only be greeted here from afar. That has implications for the way we think and speak about where we do happen to make our temporary home. We've got to give up all these hopes and dreams that this world can ever be squeezed into what it is that my heart longs for. Anyway, I understand. I'm, we long for a home. We want a home. We want stability. We want security for us and for our loved ones. I understand. I have those same desires. By faith, Abraham, though, quit thinking about Ur of the Chaldeans. He quit thinking about it. He quit longing for it, his earthly homeland. Now that's important because apparently thinking about it and wishing and pining for this world to be a home is precisely what marks us as citizens here. That's what makes you look like a citizen of the earth, longing for it to be your home. Look, I mean, look at the end of verse 15, right? You, to the degree that you long for it is the, is, is the desire to return to it. The more we obsess in our hearts about the land we're supposed to be leaving behind, the more we're going to want to return there and put our faith in what is seen or what can be built. Can we hear the word of God in the church? I'm going to press a little bit here. And I'm not doing it because I'm your enemy. Or because I'm angry about you or about something. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm asking us all to think about these things. To think, but before you respond, th- to think about these things. Paul writes to Timothy, think over what I say, for God will give you understanding in everything. Right? Think, think it over, for God will give you understanding. Right? He doesn't just deposit it into the brain. He brings us to understanding his word through thinking about it, right? All of our pining for America to be home is just digging the hole deeper and deeper into our hearts that this world is our home. I know it seems innocent and virtuous and right. And I I understand that. Please don't think for one second any of this means I hate our country. My goodness. I love it here. This is the greatest nation that has ever existed in the history of mankind. And it's not even close. There is no question. There's a reason it's hard to convince believers here that this is not our home. There's a reason that's difficult to do here. If you're preaching this in North Korea... In a meat locker somewhere, literally because if the government catches you, you'll get imprisoned or much worse. 
you hear this text and you think, oh, thank God. We hear this text here. It's so good here. I don't, I'm, I'm not insulting that. I, I, beloved, but we have to think biblically. We have to think biblically. I love it. I, I love it. And it, it stinks to watch it get eroded by liberalism and socialism. It, it stinks to see that happen to what has been built and fought and died for here. Absolutely. But I'm not saying these things because I think America is bad. I'm saying these things to my church because America just isn't home. Why did we get so attached? We ache for it to be something that's home for us. And God never intended for us to think like that about an earthly country. We, out of hand, reject anything we think is the world creeping into the church, right? Which, which often takes the form of drums or faster music sometimes in certain places or jeans. The world's creeping into the church or whatever it may be. Beloved, how can we not see? How can we not see that our desires for America to be our homeland are the world creeping into the church? How can we not see that? It is in our words that we reveal where we believe our homeland is. You see that? People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, not that they found one. Right? That's a witness to the world. That brings clarity about who we are to the world. When it's clear, we aren't seeking a homeland here. Do we, can we see that? It is in our words that we reveal where we believe our homeland is. And God has prepared for us a city. We already have a home. I don't need this to conform to anything for me. I mean, when Peter calls us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready at all times to make a defense for the hope that is within us. It's a, it's a defense of something. Be ready at all times to defend your hope. Now, is our hope, does it need defending in the world? Right? Because if it's the same hope as the world, that may be why we're never asked to give a defense for it. I can't remember a time in my life when the, the culture was railing at the church with, where do you get this hope that you have? Where does it come from? Why do you have the gall to have hope in a world like this? When was the last time any of us was challenged specifically for our hope? Right? You, you don't get to go out into culture and be a belligerent jerk and have people get mad at you and not like you and say, that's right, I have to give a defense for my hope. That's, you're defending the fact that you're a jerk. Right? That's not defending hope. Is, is our hope that subversive, that alien to the world? Does what we hope in make us sound and talk 
like strangers and exiles or citizens who hope in the same kinds of things. It's not wrong to be thankful for all that God has provided for us here. It is not wrong to be thankful for what God has provided. It's not wrong to live and to work and to earn or save or vacation or have a home or a family or any of those things. That's not the point. None of those things are wrong. Don't feel guilty about any of those things. You also have to live in the land where you live. It's not wrong to be thankful that we can do those things because God has allowed America to become a nation where we can freely do those things. None of that is wrong. But nothing God has blessed us with or given us to be thankful for means that this is home, nor did God ever intend that by giving them to us. His hand in our lives is not for the purpose of making us comfortable enough here to want to stay. His hand in our lives is to show us himself so that we feel pulled towards him away from the world. No matter what we receive from him, we should never even speak like this is our homeland. I know the implications of that are massive, but the word of God stands And if it can't stand in the church, if it isn't allowed to mean what it means here, why would we ever complain about compromising on the word anywhere else? Peanuts on an airplane flight do not mean you'll never go hungry if you stay on the plane. What we receive here does not mean you're good, you're safe, it'll be all right here. Beloved, when our hearts are fixed on this world as our home, We misread God's hand in our lives, which just sets us up to have our trust in him damaged every time he doesn't come through with temporal blessings. The whole point of Hebrew has been your salvation is secured. It is eternal. It's been obtained. All believe, have it forever, have God's approval. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Part of the reason he's building such an argument for such stability and security is because you will not be treated in this world as though it's going to be safe here. Hebrews is written to a displaced, exilic people, not citizens of the world to make lemons or to make lemonade out of all these lemons. Beloved, even the best that God can give here is still just temporary. It never occurs to us, it never, maybe never occurs to us that the difficulties in our lives, that the no's from heaven, no, I'm not going to give that, no, I'm not going to provide that, no, I'm not going to heal that. Let's not pretend that those don't exist. People are hurting. People pray for things they never receive. All right? No matter how much faith they have. That's not the way it works. It never occurs to us though, right? We think when the answer is no, that something is wrong. We didn't do something. We missed something. We picked the wrong door, right? He went out not knowing where he was going, right? Abraham didn't look for open doors. He didn't look at closed doors. He just went. 
It never occurs to us that the difficulties in our lives may be God's way of weaning his precious children off of this world. It never occurs to us that he's loving us deeper than we can understand when the answer is no. Why not? Maybe because staying alive and doing well and prospering are the goal. They're what we live for. And really, God is there so we can co-op him into helping us do that. Helping us stay here. God hears what we're really praying. And sometimes, or all the time, that also means God knows when our prayer is, God, help me build my home here. Give me paradise and heaven here. I don't want to greet it from afar. I want to walk into it and embrace it and feel it and smell it and touch it every single day. He loves us too much to do that. I mean, dying is not the worst thing for us, beloved. Not when here we have no home. I mean, is our thinking completely backwards? Look at 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Listen to the words that the Holy Spirit has inspired there. But, which means, we all know this, whatever idea follows that word, but, is the opposite idea of what came before it. Here, verse 15. So, in other words... Instead of being fixated on the home they left behind to become strangers and exiles, regardless of where they were, even a land of promise, they were still a stranger and an exile in a land of promise. Regardless, instead of being fixated on the home they left behind, they desired a better country, namely a heavenly one. What we have faith in will be identified by our desires. What we want. So without it, look, look back at verse 6 now. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith believes, biblical faith believes that God will give us the city we long for. But it won't be any city that exists or can be built on earth. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why is God not ashamed of a bunch of strangers and aliens? Why does he identify himself with us? Because God has prepared a city for the people that desire a better country. He's got nothing to be ashamed of, as though one day it's going to be found out that his people were pitiful and sadly mistaken. He would be ashamed of us. We'd make him look bad. You will not make God look bad by believing he will keep the promise of what he's giving you from afar. You will prove him as beautiful and as glorious and as strong and as faithful as he has told us he is again and again and again and again. Those that want God as their reward... He's prepared a special country all for them. God is not ashamed of the people that just want to be with him. Because by that desire, they testify to his worth. 
right? Which is also commentary on the worth of everything else. So we can see in that how speaking that way as a stranger and an exile who they don't see what they're promised here. It will be greeted to them or they're greeting it from afar. We can see how speaking that way, acknowledging that we're strangers and exiles would give us a testimony in the world because that hope is completely antithetical to the world's opinion of itself, beloved. It'll really make us stick out. We thought we did that by morals. Morals are not impressive. Muslims are very moral. It's not impressive, right? There are Buddhists who are very moral, not impressive, not alien, not special. Okay? This is really what makes us stand out. Hope, faith that is not fixed on anything in this world, nor is it fixed on anything working or happening or coming in this world. There's always an element of human culture that is attempting to rebuild the Tower of Babel and stick a thumb in God's eye. It's always there in the DNA. We'll build our own tower. We'll build it as high as heaven. Wait till you see what we can do. We don't need God. So when you no longer desire a home or a country in this world, you'll stick out like a sore thumb. Because that's the point of life. Make a name. Get a home. We, we talked we talk about this last night. That's the American dream. Right? You, I mean, do we hear things through the lens of the word of God? Is that how what we hear gets filtered into our minds? Beloved, the nearer that we draw to our Lord from here, the more out of place we will feel here. The more that God weans us off of this world, the more discontentment we will feel. Right? The more we long for him, the less anything in our lives is going to seem right. But listen, beloved, you and I are going to be okay. God is not ashamed of you. The world will shame you when you don't want to live here. But you'll have a home from God. You'll be safe. You'll be kept. Nobody can touch that. So maybe you don't fit. Maybe finding real friends is very hard. Maybe being in relationships that are secure and steady and that bring you constant peace and happiness are not something you've been able to achieve. You won't feel like you belong here. That's what this means. You'll, you'll, you'll live with this constant awareness that something isn't quite right. You'll, you'll have a longing that no one will ever be able to really reach or satisfy. But remember this. You and I, we are seeking a homeland. Sojourners never feel at home because we desire a better country. And we know it isn't here and it can't be built here. And God will bring it to us. That is what Christ secures for us, for all who just believe in him.
What are, let, let's, let's think it out. What, what is it really that most of us probably are hoping for anyway? What do we really want? Well, we'd like to be forgiven no matter what we've done or do. We'd like to know that someone out there will be completely merciful to us and just decide to be gracious to us whether we technically deserve it or not. Right? We, we want somebody to love us as we are, whether or not we live up to their standards, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're hoping for. None of us want to change, really. So we're hoping to find somebody that will love us and, like, as we are, that doesn't demand that we get better or they'll stop loving us, right? That, that's what we want. Even the toughest guy you know, deep down inside, desires these things. We want real stability. We want real security. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed, no matter what happens. And we want to know we'll have it forever. And beloved, I'm telling you, for the sake of your soul, that there is not a person or a place or a thing on the earth that can ever give you those things. Ever. Ever. Nobody can forgive you like you need to be forgiven. Nobody is good or pure enough here to love you that much. No one is powerful enough here to give you everything you need. But Jesus Christ is. All those things are ours through Jesus Christ. And while we may only be able to greet them from afar in the here and now, The God who promises all of this to us will give it to us, but only him. Only him. And the sooner we stop trying to conform all the people and places and things in our lives and squeeze them into what we need them to be to have peace and wholeness, the sooner we stop trying, for example, to get our spouses to be our saviors and our soulmates, The sooner we stop thinking that this house or that job or this town or that city or this change, that thing will finally be the thing that makes us whole. The sooner we stop trying to squeeze our church into fulfilling all our personal desires for it. The sooner we embrace our identity as nothing but strangers and exiles here, we will begin to know the peace that pulls us closer to Jesus. You'll feel displaced here. Beloved, There is, if we would abide with him and walk with him and walk by faith, we cannot avoid the ongoing sense of displacement here. But there is a home for you and me. It is guaranteed. It is held in the hand of Christ. Nothing and no one can ever take it from you or I. Beloved, Jesus is all we have. And we have to stop trying to squeeze out of this world not only what it will not give, but cannot give. For we walk by faith, not by sight. The deepest reason for our ongoing thankfulness is the unending faithfulness of our God for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, 
God rewards us with himself in a better country. A heavenly one. That Christ has lived, died, and risen from the dead to secure for us forever. God forgives our sins to bring us back to himself with our conscience is clear to worship him in that far country forever. We were created to enjoy rest in his presence. Christ came to give that back to us because we lost it through our rebellion. When mankind was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we were kicked out of our home. And the quest of human society ever since has been to find a new one. Sinfulness, however, has corrupted our search and deceived our minds. We need redeemed by Jesus Christ to repent of our sins and our longing for everything else but God. And we need to see reality with the eyes of faith. They are the eyes that see what's really true. Faith can see what is invisible and it can see it from afar. What would it take to convince all of us that we wouldn't want a home here if we could get one? So thankful for everything that God has provided for me here. An absolutely precious and beautiful family, a wonderful home. We don't lack anything that we need. God even lets us have some of the things we want. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, but if He wasn't there, if He wasn't there, all I'd have is the moment. That's all I'd have. And the moments fade and they pass. And everything and everyone passes with them. The unavoidable ticking of the clock is unstoppable until all that we hold in our hands is gone. Or the hand holding the things is gone. It's one or the other. Because here I have no homeland. But God gave us a country, beloved. So I don't want my the focus of my thanksgiving to be what his hand has provided. I want the focus to be the fact that a God is there who provides it. And against all the odds, in spite of all the evidence, he loves me. I want my eyes to learn to travel up the beam of light to its source. For the day is coming when all these things will pass away, all of them. But the end of my life on earth will also be the end of my longing for a better country and a heavenly one. Christ has bought this for me, for all who believe in him. He secured it for us so we put all our trust in him. The question this morning as we close, is your home the God who washes away all of our sin and makes us perfect through the sacrifice and resurrection of his son? Is he your home? Is your home nowhere really except wherever he is? Do you long for a better country, a heavenly one? Then come to Jesus. Jesus is home. Let's pray. I'll be down front. If anyone needs to pray for any reason, we close. We'll sing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your salvation. Father, I pray that this morning we would be convinced by the power of your spirit that your word is true and believe it. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.
Thank you for being here this morning. Everybody will dismiss in just a second. I'll, I'll pray for us. Um, remember that tonight we have the hanging of the greens at four o'clock. I don't know what the greens ever did anybody, but we'll be hanging them at four. So come if you can. We'll be putting all those up. And um, if you can't be a part of that, that's great. But if, if I if I don't see you, if we don't see each other between now and later this week, because remember, there's no Wednesday night Bible study, please have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your families. Enjoy your time off. Hopefully you have some time off. But enjoy every moment of it, all right? Those moments pass quickly. I don't I don't want to be a downer. That's not what I meant. Just Just... Enjoy the moments you're given, all right? Let me close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we praise you for the grace and the peace that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we have every reason in this life and the next to be thankful people. Lord, make us that. Give us a testimony in this world where there isn't much to be thankful for at all. Watch over your people. Watch over our town. Pray for the safety of families traveling this week. And Lord, watch over the Ohio Valley for your name and for your mercy and grace. We ask this in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.